This is Nova Church Halifax, where we love God and love people. Tune in as Pastor Mike Miller teaches from God's Word and how we can have a Nova life, a new life. Today's going to be a special day. Um, we recorded uh, this week a conversation yeah. with uh, some people in our church, amazing people. Last week, as Nancy mentioned, we focused on the world with Pastor Bill Wilson, and thank you for mm. your generosity. Amazing. And due to that, we helped literally children around the world. With thousands uh, and thousands. Yeah, and they have a Sunday school of 250,000 people. And your giving last week, and our focus last week was globally, children, injustice, poverty, and helping with the gospel. This week, we feel to go locally. Yeah. And we always say every church service will be um, a brick in the wall of the church we are building. Mm -hmm. And we want to put a brick in the wall Absolutely. of Nova as we build today. Yeah. So yeah. We, th we thought about bringing on some people uh, to talk about racism, leaders around the world and even locally. And we decided as a church, we want to bring on our own family yeah. and have a family talk mm -hmm. on racism around the table of Nova. Yeah. So today we're believing that you'll be encouraged. We're believing that your heart will be open as you see some amazing people that are us. We are Nova today. Yeah. So enjoy this table talk on racism. And today we're going to have a conversation. I really appreciate you guys coming in um, and taking the time. Um, it's been challenging a few weeks and I can only imagine challenging for your families. Today around this table, we have people that are culture shapers. And we believe as Nova that revival, we say it all the time, God can do whatever he wants. But revival, we don't see revival happening around an altar that may be in years past. We see revivals happening around water coolers, in offices, in backroom, boardrooms. We see it happening in caf at cafes and in schools. And we believe God's raising up uh, our church and other churches, but I'm speaking to our church to be influencers. And not to hide from culture, not to lock ourselves into a church, but to go out and be a part of change. And today around this table, we have Jesse, uh, who is uh, director um, for a soccer club in Halifax, moved here from Ottawa, uh, and such an influence of sport, which is a huge part of community. We have Dean, who is a vice principal uh, and in, in, in the education system, a part of leading this generation, this next generation. We have Alexia, who is a nurse uh, in our city. Uh, we love the nurses in our city. If you're ever looking for a church, <laughs> to, get, a church to get sick in, it's Nova. We have so many nurses, uh, but we're just so thankful. And then we have Micah, who is a consultant and with social work. And I can't think of a better group that is on the forefront of culture and community to see the trouble spots, but also be a part of uh, issuing and change. So I want to say thank you guys for joining us today. Thank you, thank you for taking thank the time. You. And I don't know all the emotions around this table, but I want to thank you guys for taking time to help us as a church to grow, to learn. Um, here's the question I want to ask. I'm going to start it with Micah, and then we're going to jump in. Um, how has the last three weeks, the last month been for you? How is, how is, there's been so much on the news. There's been so much going on, even locally. How has the last three weeks been for you? Well, uh, first I want to say thank you so much, Pastor Mike, Nancy, and Nova, because the last three weeks have reminded me of, and even this experience, sitting around a table, this isn't new in the black community. Hmm. I remember sitting at a table with my grandmother, listening to her stories, and then my mother. And so that art of listening is really incorporated into certain diverse communities. So 
for me, I'm just now shocked to see in the last three weeks, even though there's been so much turmoil and chaos, heartbreak, it's shed this awakening of listening, mm. which mm. I'm just shocked. I, I, I've always been a, a strong believer. And even when I, as a person of a diverse community, interact with a different diverse community, I'm really aware that I, I know so little. I have to listen. Um, and it's, it's humbling. So the last three weeks for me have been very humbling. Um, and I know it's been troubling and there's a lot to be concerned of, but equally hopeful. Mm. And so I, I see this as definitely a, a challenging time, but a lot of hope I think is going to come out of this. Mm. Um, and I've, I've never been more hopeful, mm. uh, which might seem ironic, but I've never been more hopeful than I am right now um, because of things like this, sitting down, talking and listening is mm. for me. Do you, do you guys echo that or different? Mm. Alexei, mm. what are you feeling? Well, first of all, thank you for creating this avenue for us to discuss this important um, topic. The past three weeks has been stressful for me. I've been angry, frustrated, I've cried, mm. having to explain to my boys the situation mm. because we already mm. had... Um, Ahmed Hamri's case where mm. I was explaining to them what happened and then George coming in again. It has been very tough for me. So um, it has opened a whole can of worms because um, a few of my friends have been calling in and asking me how I'm feeling. And I keep telling them, I, are you calling because you want you sympathizing with me or to listen to what I've got to say? Mm. A little frustrating, I might say. Mm. Yeah. So that's, I don't know, everybody feels different. Do you, do you find yourself leaning into the news or are you avoiding it? Where are you at? Are you, does it, does it make you too mad? Are you too sad? What's going on with? I don't listen to it too much. I just listen to just a few, the mm. things that I can grab in and because it breaks my heart all the time when I'm watching. I couldn't even watch George to the end. Mm. I broke down. Mm -hmm. I couldn't watch it. I mean, Ahmed's situation, I don't know whether you heard about Ahmed Abri who was running and got killed, was also hard for me to watch. Mm. I was scared because I have two boys mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. they keep coming with me with stories and all that. I have to tell them not to be watching this, the news. However, mm -hmm. you have a 15 year old who will be telling, do you know they've got the, the, so the, the, the officers who did it. Mom, did you hear that? Well, this, well, I mean, it keeps coming because he's watching it because he's watching now. it and yeah. giving me the information. Yeah. So it, it's tough. Mm -hmm. I'm trying, I don't want him to dive too much into it, but at the same time, mm -hmm. He has to know. Yeah. 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 Um, very much like I want to say thank you to Mike and Nancy and Nova as well, uh, just for the opportunity to sit down and to have a conversation. Because one of the things that I truly believe is that change takes place when you have the opportunity to talk to someone, mm -hmm. hear their stories, and then connect, make a connection with them. Um, I had a student or a teacher one day that I used to work with, and as I was uh, going through a master's program, one of the things he said to me was that our sum total, the sum total of our experience in life is based upon the connections we make and the interactions that we share. Mm -hmm. So it's opportunities like this where we then get an opportunity to make an interaction with somebody else, whether right here in, in Bedford, Halifax, or Sackville, but also right around the entire globe. Mm -hmm. um, so thank you for that opportunity. Um, the last three weeks have been 
I think I've gone through every range of emotion you can you can think of. At some point, I was frustrated. Sometimes I was cranky. Sometimes I was mad. And then I was like, "What is really going on? Like, why why are we in the same spot again?" And so that's been very challenging. Um, and you know, as, as well as with Ahmed, you know, just to look at those two experiences of the last couple of months, mm-hmm. it, it's been a challenging time. Yeah. And you know, having two kids at home and a stepdaughter, um, you know, we've been having t- some tough and courageous conversations mm-hmm. where. They're at the age now where they start to make their own connections with what's going on in society. And that's been a challenge for us, too, as a family, to be able to navigate that alongside of our children Mm -hmm. and just to open up. But it's also opened up eyes for us to then listen to them because we would have each had our own story at some Mm -hmm. point in our lives where we kind of get to where we are today. But now we're seeing it through our children's eyes. Mm -hmm. And sometimes what I find a little concerning to me is some of the challenges that we face growing mm-hmm. up as well, and hearing the stories of the same stories that they're now starting to hear. So it's repeating itself. It's repeating. Yeah. Okay. Um, for me, I guess, first of all, I'll start by saying thank you, Pastor Mike, and thank you, Nova, for having me here. Um, I'm new to the province, and it's uh, it's an honor just to sit here and just even talk to everyone today. Um, for me, it's it's been a different three weeks. Um, I still remember the first time I saw, as you discussed, George Floyd. I saw it on social media, Instagram. Mm. I was on Instagram, and when I saw it, at first I didn't believe it. I'm like, no, that didn't happen. Mm. And then I looked at it again, and I'm like, it actually happened. And then from there, everything started blowing up. Um, Everyone was posting, and then I turned on the news, and I was more intrigued in what was going on. Um, And I mean, I saw the Ahmad... Aubrey and I saw all the stuff that's been happening in the States. And and in my mind, I was just like, this is mind blowing. Like I couldn't really grasp it just because I'm like, why does this happen all the time, all the time? And then Mm. knowing that I'm a a, a black man and I'm looking at this and I'm like, what can I do? And then I'm seeing everyone posting. Mm. So I'm not typically the type to really post a lot on social media. So I even felt Am I doing enough? Mm-hmm. Am I not mm-hmm. doing enough? Um, so I really did feel that. So, you know, I posted some stuff, but then I really thought to myself, what does that do? Mm. Me posting, is that really doing something? Um, and I mean, not to discredit anyone who posts because I do believe it's doing something. I felt like I had to do more. Mm. Um, and in my field of work, I work at a soccer club. So I thought to myself, well, maybe it's something I could do with my club. And then I spoke to my mom who I have a nephew back in Ottawa. And she said, my nephew was crying Mm. um, because he has social media. He's seeing this and he called his mom, who's a nurse and was asking her, why do they hate us? Mm. Are you coming home? Mm. Are you going to be safe? Like Mm. all these questions. And I'm like, imagine everyone else who has questions like that. Um, And it led me to now do something with the club And I find myself being a lot more bold about Mm. the situation in terms of Mm. talking about it. Um, I've done a lot of listening to even educate myself Mm. um, so that when I speak, even if I'm a man of color, um, whatever I say, I'm saying it in an educated way. Mm -hmm. So all those little things happen and it it just made it different because I I wasn't expecting this. I've never been in that situation. So it's it's still it's st- I'm still wrapping my head around everything to be honest with you, um, so I uh, I want to lean mm-hmm. in as parents 
I believe, Jesse, your kids are the youngest. At the, how old's your oldest? <laughs> He's four years old right now. And your youngest? My youngest is three. You have the two, right? I got two. two one's, one's Beckham? One's Beckham. And my one's... favorite soccer player. <laughs> <laughs> is that after soccer player? Well, my wife chose it, actually. And I said, you know what? If you want Beckham, sure. <laughs> but I knew it was after soccer player. Um, you know, we always say our, our children, like, our job is not to hang on to them forever. It's to launch them. We see them as arrows. Mm. Um, we, our, our job is to launch our kids. But we have conversations, and I've been thinking about this. I'm thinking about, you know, these stories and these videos. And I know for us as, as, as parents, we have conversations like you walk on this side of the road so you can see traffic coming. We have, we have conversations like, do you know your, your parents' phone number in case you get hurt? We, we say, do you know 911? We have conversations. There's a whole bunch of different conversations as, as, as people of color you have to have. Is there conversations you're having that, or conversations you know you have to have in light of these, your experiences, these videos, that's different? Because I'm just thinking, like, how much different is it for us? The conversations we have, I'm saying, I don't, I'm, my kids aren't afraid of the police. They're, they don't think, am I welcome in this neighborhood? They've never had that conversation. Are there conversations you're having as parents or you're going to have as parents? Have you, have you, in the, especially in these last three weeks that you've been talking to your kids about? I, I guess maybe I'll start since I have the youngest. Um, I haven't spoken to my kids about it. Mm. T- to be honest myself, I feel like they're maybe too young. Mm. And it's, it's almost like I was trying, I'm trying not to interrupt, <laughs> interrupt their, What's that word? Innocence. Innocence. Mm. Interrupted. I, I don't want to do that to them. There's been times throughout this last three weeks I've looked at them and I'm like, I hope when you grow up, <laughs> mm. you don't cause any trouble to get yourself in trouble. And I'm thinking these little things because, you know, in society today, you never know what could happen. Mm. So I'm more so thinking I, I haven't had that discussion and I don't know when I will. I don't know when the right time is. I don't know. Mm. So f- for me... It's more so as they start getting older, if I see something maybe around the corner or knocking at the door, maybe that's the best time to do it. Which is fascinating because we don't even think that way. But you, you've been thinking about this going, okay, when's yeah. – like I know as parents you think, okay, when do we have the sex talk? And when do you talk about this? These are conversations we don't think about. Like I know at, at this end of the table, you have sons that are soon driving. Mm-hmm. Mm. I know there's conversations we have with, with, I'm thinking of my son driving. He's 16 now. It involves speed. It involves safety. It involves what are the conversations you're having or you're going to have or you're thinking about? How does this change in your, your guys' view? Well, I know for me, um, one of the things I try and keep in mind is where are they at in terms of their own, their own developmental cycle in terms mm-hmm. of understanding things that are going on. Um, but I know over the last you know three weeks, the kids have asked like a lot of questions. And one of them started with, well, why? Why is this happening, Dad? And and we had to kind of go back and talk about a few other incidents that took place in the in the history mm. to get a sense of kind of like how we kind of got here today. Um, but I have had conversations more so with my son because uh, he is fourteen and he's getting yeah. close to that driving age, just in regards to how to act in certain situations, mm. um, just to ensure that he's prepared and prepped. And I've also had the same conversation with my stepdaughter, who's now twenty five and mm. married and on her own. Mm. Um, but my daughter, not as much yet. Uh, but I know that there are lots of conversations we will have to have, mm. just because she needs to be prepared as well. And I know what I've shared with my own son is just my own first experience. The first day I had my car, 
um, you know, I had my 99 Dodge Stratus and I thought I was so excited, so pumped to, you know, get behind that wheel, turn the, the key and get ready to go for the first time. And within a matter of five hours of driving that car, um, I was stopped mm. and I was stopped for going through a stop sign, but I was stopped and it was a, it was a challenging, a challenging experience and obviously sharing that with my son, um, and daughters. So at least then they understand mm. what the experience was like and how I responded uh, in those moments. Mm. For me, this this conversation is ongoing. I've, I started talking to my kids about race when they were five because they already know. Um, my 14-year-old my already knew what race was when he was five. He told me, in a, for example, in a, he, he had a situation in a, um, a soccer park. He was in a park and they separated the whites from the black. So then, then he already knew. He came back home and said, Mom, uh, we had a team and there was a black team and there's a white team. So then I have to, that was when I realized that, okay, this mm. is it. I have to start talking to him about it. This has been part of our daily talks. I talk to him all the time, even if he's going for, um, uh, to the shops, I tell him, do not reach your hand to your pocket. Mm -hmm. Just stay straight. I, you know, it's a, I have to tell him all this. I get nervous when he's going for a sleepover. Mm because I don't know what's going to come out of it. I get nervous when I'm even scared of him going to invest it out of town. Mm -hmm. What's going to happen to him alone? So it's the fear mm -hmm. of what's going to happen. He can't even walk um, outside um, by himself. I mean, to the trail alone, he's got to be with someone. So it's a, a normal conversation we have in our home. Mm -hmm. Like you have to be careful of that. You have to, when you go to the shops, don't do this. Don't reach out for anything. Um, just be extra good. And at school, when you all of them are getting, they are falling, getting eighties, you have to strive for a ninety nine point nine. It's it's a talk we always have. You have to work extra harder. Unfortunately, that is where I am. Wow. Yeah, I w I would echo in with that and say it's been uh, many years of a conversation with, especially with my two boys as mm -hmm. they get older. Um, and you know, they're, they're cool guys and I, <laughs> I love them so much. Shout out to Rocco and Dawson, but you're watching, I, uh, cool. <laughs> you know, I guess for me, you know, hearing things, you know, my, my grandmother and, and unfortunately there's a lot of fear behind a lot of the warnings. Mm. And, um, so my grandmother talking about you know, losing her home in Africville and being removed, mm. my mom being put into the colored home. Those things let you know that you can't take anything for granted. You can't assume mm. anything. Mm. And as much as I want to trust that something horrible couldn't happen, I can't remove myself from the history of knowing that Halifax has a ways to go. Mm. And as long as my boys live there and they are experiencing life there, I can't take the assumption that they can get away with the exact same thing somebody else would. And maybe I sometimes carry that fear of when I'm warning them and I'm saying, you know, this might seem like a bit overkill, but I can't assume that I don't need to have this conversation mm -hmm. with you. Yeah. And, you know, to the point where I sometimes might get a little bit hard on at least my kids. And I don't know if this is something else shared, but, you know, I sometimes am telling them that, you know, you're doing something, but you also have the weight of representing your race mm -hmm. yeah. 
and there's somebody out there that wants to say something negative and they're just looking for a foothold to, to see you do something and say, see, this confirms what I've been saying mm -hmm. or, and a lot of kids don't have to carry that weight. Mm -hmm. You know, you might be 12, 13, 14, but you got generations that are against you as much as with you. And so for that, we've, we've had conversations that mm. I just say, you know, you can't, you can't assume anything. Mm. So if you're driving, I'm going to warn you and I'm going to take you through the steps of it being the worst case scenario you could have mm. as much as I don't want to think that'll happen. Yeah. I can't assume it won't. So I just have that conversation. There's a, uh watching today there's got to be i'm thinking there's three camps there might be more but one is okay racism it's a problem in halifax you know halifax is nice we live here for a reason pretty nice people the weather's not the greatest but it's nice it's not too expensive so it's a problem but it's not a big deal then there's the camp that would say okay it's a problem and we got to root it out we, this is the time there seems to be some critical mass we can deal with it and there's other people that said no no it doesn't exist here it's not you know that's an american thing that's a big city thing um, you know, what's your experience in Halifax? Especially, I know um, Alexia and and Jesse have lived outside of Halifax. You know, better, worse. What's been your experiences? You know, Micah, Dean, growing up here, two years here, a year and a half here, um, nine years, nine years. Yeah. What's been your experiences? So, having lived in England and moved here nine years ago. In England, um, I lived in a pretty, uh, black, predominantly neighborhood. My church were black everywhere. I saw people of like me. So it was easier. Mm. Um, there is racism everywhere. But moving here in Halifax, I really saw that it's like it was real. It's the things happening in America is, is also happening here in, um, Halifax, um, for example, I has a few things. My son has been called the N-word. I have to move my son to a private school last year um, because of the constant bullies. Um, my name, I mean, I worked, I used to work, I, I, I moved work. I loved all my workplaces, by the way. Um, but my name, uh, I realized that all our names were, into, we were named I was called different name all the time by all the black people in the in, in in my unit. So our names were interchanged. I was called Barbara, Ailey, all the names that you can think of of the black people who work um, at the hospital. I did not understand. I didn't know whether they were doing it unconsciously because you need to know that someone to be able to, you know, call them by their name. But I realized this was a big thing for them. Mm -hmm. um, I, I I got used to it. And I would tell my Barbara, who is one of the uh, my friends, I will tell her, like, you, you have to stay good. You have to be good. I'm going to be good because if anything happens to you, they may think it's me. Mm -hmm. Or if it happens to me, they may think it's you. Mm -hmm. And up to now, I've, I've got used to it. People don't call me. They don't know me. Like, I realized that they don't even take the time to know who I am. Mm -hmm. They call me by all the black people in the unit. Mm -hmm. It has got to be... Alexia or Barbara or Aileen, anything that you can think of. Mm. So it's kind of silence here in Halifax, but you don't know how much it affects you mentally. It mm. makes you think like you are invisible, like mm. you don't exist. I only come work and go back home. People don't really take the time mm. to get to know me. 
And um, also in the shops, when you go to the shop, you have, you see a lot of families, they look at you and they get shocked. Sometimes you can tell by their face. You reach out to be nice, to warm up with the children. Because that education starts from there. And they don't want to warm up to you mm. at all. You have the security guy looking at you all the time. My son will be like, mom, why are they looking at us? I said, well, that is what I've been talking to you about at home. Mm-hmm. So I, it was real to me. Racism was real to me more in Halifax, in Canada mm. here, than it was in England. Yeah. How much have you wanted to move from here? I always thought Canada is the, you know, all the people are nice. Mm. That's what I heard. We have nice people here mm. and... But it was, it's different. It's, it's a different nice, I would say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a yeah. different nice. They, yeah. They, we hide it it's better. It's very silent. Yeah. They hide it better than anything. So you may think you are doing okay, but you, you don't know what's going to happen at your back. Yeah. So it's mm-hmm. worse. It's worse. Yeah. And it's happening. What about the workplace, guys? For me, I, I'm, I'm really fortunate that I, I work in a pretty, progressive workplace and it's one that you know strives to do better with community services but at the same time every day I'm reminded that it was that exact same department that whether it was with some indigenous children the African Nova Scotian community were really the government's hands mm. for doing some pretty horrible things mm. and um, in the workplace I know that I almost, um, you know, I, I've had some conversations with um, Juana Bernard, one of our senators from Nova Scotia, amazing voice that people really could value hearing yeah. from. And she has a, a talk on wearing the two masks that a lot of times you have to put on, especially in your workplace. So it's like what you're saying, you have to really make sure that you're doing everything right. Yes. And you almost have to delicate around any advancements or um, success because you again that nice way that people might judge you to say well you probably are only getting ahead because Mm -hmm. even though you're working twice as hard and you're trying so hard but you might still get the it's only because you're black Mm -hmm. or you don't really deserve to be in that position Mm -hmm. and and it's subtle but it's there Mm -hmm. and you you know it You, you you know when like you're saying, you know when people are looking through yes. you or that stare you get that you just know. You know. Right? Yeah. So. Well, I know for me, growing up in Nova Scotia, like I had a number of different challenges. Like, you know, I grew up in an area where as a young child, I was kind of labeled as someone who was like a thug or like a gangster. And I was like, okay, I don't know if that's really me. Uh, but that was kind of like what I was kind of portrayed as a little bit. And I'm thinking that's not me at all. Um, but I remember at a very young age, one of the things I had to kind of struggle with was just coming to grips of who I am as a proud African Nova Scotian black mm. man. Um, and as a child growing up, that was not always my lived reality uh, because being biracial, uh, I had an African Nova Scotian father who was not invested in my life at the time mm. and left that job to raise me to my mother. Uh, and there was a lot of things that she couldn't teach me in those moments that I kind of needed to know. And I remember growing up where I'd have friends of mine that would that we'd go out and we'd be hanging out and they'd say, so can you answer a question for me today? I was like, what? Are you acting white today or are you acting black? Mm-hmm. 
And I was like, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. And it was like, well, are you black today or are you white today? And I'm like, I, I don't understand. Why are you asking this? And one of my peers had said, well, you're not black enough to be black. You're not white enough to be white. Mm-hmm. What are you? And as I sat back and started internalizing what the question was, I responded by, I'm me, take it or leave it. Mm-hmm. But as I kind of digested that later on in my life, I kind of had a conversation with my brother who, you know, took the role of someone who mentored me a little bit to kind of say, you know what, there's some things that you need to know. So the same conversations you're asking are we having with our children. I was fortunate that my brother sat me down one day and said, I need to have a conversation with you that you need to know. And I, at that time, I didn't know whether I was ready for that conversation or if I had to embrace that conversation. But he asked me, he goes, how do you identify? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I'm biracial. And he said to me, he goes, do me a favor. Sitting out in front of my house in Dartmouth, he said, pull down the, the mirror. And he said, when you look in that mirror, what do you see? And I said, I see someone who's biracial. And he looked me in the eye and he said, when you look in that mirror, I always see a proud black man mm-hmm. because society may not see you in any other light. Mm-hmm. And for a little bit of time, I was frustrated with my brother because I'm thinking, like, what are you trying to say to me? Um, you know, why? Like, and I didn't understand what that meant at the time. But really what he's trying to teach me is how when I walk into social settings, how some people might see me. And the impact I can have. So, you know, as I sit back and digest that now, it's almost like the little bulletproof vest he was putting on me to understand um, the impact that race can have on my everyday lived experience. For me, I grew up in Dominica. So in growing up, I never had to worry about all what I've been hearing since Mm -hmm. I moved to Canada. And I went from growing up in Dominica to now coming to Canada, which I moved to Ottawa. And it was sort of like culture shock. Because my first experience in school was racial. There was two gangs fighting against each other. One completely immigrants and the other whites. And that was the first experience I had. And I knew nothing mm. about what was going on here. So I kind of quickly had to learn. And, and through, through my life growing up, playing soccer, I got myself in incidents on the field where you know racist comments and stuff were made at me. Um, and then my coach, who was... Um, also a coach of color, he had to pull me over and basically let me know you have to find another way to deal with it. Mm. And you cannot deal with it in public because anytime you deal with something in public, they will look at you in a type of way just because of your skin color. Mm. So that was my experience in Ottawa. And then coming to Halifax, I came here for school. I went to Santa Fe University and almost the whole racial thing was magnified all of a sudden. Mm. And I'm like, What? And it was like Nova Scotia is the history of this. And everyone I spoke to was, you know, black people, white people, black people, white people. I'm like, what's going on? So so for me, I had to teach myself so much more. And getting into any situation now, I was always aware, man, I'm a black guy. No matter what I do, I need to be, I need to be sure that I'm doing it right. I cannot make a mistake. If I make a mistake, they're going to look at me bad. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to be like, oh, this this guy again um so even going back now to ottawa after school in in my job i felt like everything i did i obviously had to work hard but Mm -hmm. i felt like i had to work that much harder so that whatever i got it wasn't because um oh we need someone of minority in this role um or um we feel bad for this guy or if I do something wrong, okay, bye-bye because we, we don't need you. So all those feelings and thoughts go through my mind or it has gone through my mind. And even now 
there's to some extent I think I'm like, well, you know, like I need to make sure I'm not going to mess up. I need to make sure I'm on point. I need to make sure I need to make sure I need to make sure. And that's what's going through my mind all the time. So I wish it wasn't Mm. honestly, I wish it wasn't. Um, and that, yeah, I, you know, even this conversation, I'll be honest where we're at because I'll be honest. I see some people even on social media and thinking, like, it's just another, they're just piling on for their own influence to grow. Like, hey, this is now trendy. I'm involved. Let's see how many likes, how many comments. And what. Yeah. I, and so my my default is always pull back. Yeah. And when I was talking to Nancy, I said, you know what? If I'm going to, if we're going to be criticized, we have to criticize them going forward and saying, well, their motives aren't right. Even this conversation. Because sometimes it's like, okay, is it trendy? Is this like the thing? Just kind of, and we're preparing sermons. I was like, we have to address this. It feels like there's a climate right now. And I was like, okay, do we, you know, is it going to feel like, okay, we're bringing out, you know, our token minority to come out and speak. And I'm like, we have, we're choosing to say, you know what, our motives could be questioned, but we have to make changes right now. And it can't be, well, you know what, we're afraid of being perceived wrong. There's like, there's this, like so much of culture. The first time I was ever a minority I was 22 in another country and my eyes went opened for the first time. I remember trying to get a haircut and all they had was pictures on the wall. And number nine was Jordan. I remember thinking, I don't want Jordan. And I'm thinking, I don't, I can't get a haircut. And my mind started, the, the curtain started opening up on my life going, okay, this is what's like back home. Mm-hmm. I was even saying to Nancy, I don't think I've ever seen black band-aids. Mm-hmm. The system here is expecting you to be white. Yeah. And it's like in this season, what I see is, you know, is the opening eyes. But we've even had conversations as a church. We, we sat with our worship leaders this week. We've been having this conversation for about two years. But we said, listen, I know it's going to seem like we're bandwagon. I said, our stage is way too white right now. That's why I asked. I said, Nova. And Dean, you said, I was really surprised that, you know, we were really happy with how diverse it was. I'm mm. like, we don't think it's diverse enough. Yeah. Right. Because I see what we don't have. Yeah. And I feel like we have some generational diversity. We see, you know, it's not just 26 year olds in skinny jeans. And I feel like I dress like I'm 26. And I know I'm not, I know I'm 45, but I'm like, we need, we need, you, you know, you, you just can't be driving a nice car to come to this church. You can't be just 30 to come to this church, but our stage is way too white right now. And it's an intentional conversation going, okay. So I'll be honest, even this week is like, okay, do we, what do we, does it look like we're like, okay, that's so obvious. I was like, we have to push through those barriers of going, this could seem like we're opportunists because we have to move this ball down the field of change. We have to. And, um, you know, there's people saying, well, you know, white privilege does not exist in Halifax. What would you say to that? Privilege is one of those things that is is there. Um, you know, it's 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 a conversation that sometimes we tend not to have in like the larger society because what does really what does privilege privilege really mean? And it's you know really breaks it down to do you benefit from not having to worry about something? Mm. And meaning, do you have to worry about what it's like to kind of grow up a certain way or live in a certain area? But privilege is something that's conferred upon individuals from birth. Mm. From the time you're born until the time you pass away, there's certain privileges that 
that are that exists and mm-hmm. you know privilege does exist out there and there's a powerful article out there that talks about unpacking what they call the invisible knapsack mm-hmm. and those invisible things that that exist within society when you talk about band-aids um you know like if, if i cut myself it's very hard to find a band-aid that that blends in with my skin color even though i'm lighter skinned i was bothered that i never thought about that until last week yeah like i'll be honest i thought i've never thought about that till last week and i just saw a post yesterday that band-aid came out with we're trying better i was like like when my our kids skinned their knees that wasn't even a thought in my mind Mm. yeah so it's built it's it's built to segregate do you feel you have the same opportunity in your job in your in your professions? Lexi, do you feel you have the same opportunity, the same for promotion for maybe not in your actual ward in your but in the medical system in your profession in in Halifax? I would say no. You don't have that opportunity. Um don't even know what to no we don't have that privilege i've had a few people asking me how did you get this job how did you get there and i don't even know why they asked me that question and i i always say i work hard for that mm. i always you know let's you know it's 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 there racism is everywhere um, to the point that um, I have to tell my son that if there is a Smith, and you, 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 you could understand where I'm coming from, and Jesse as well, if there is a Smith and there is a Mwajechi resume on the table, I can tell you mm-hmm. that a Smith will be picked over a Mwajechi just by looking at the names alone. So I have to tell my son to work extra hard, mm-hmm. harder. Mm. All that I have to put the pressure on him. You have to do French. You have to do that. Yeah. Just for him to stand out in the game because <laughs> it wouldn't work mm. if he he doesn't work extra hard and get to where he's supposed to be. So that's the system. It's right there. Um, you know, this march happened in Halifax, I think, a week and a half ago. And talked about it and said, okay, you know, is it organized well? And I asked some people in the know, do you know who's organizing it? You know, is it, and got some feelers behind it. And we talked about it. And I said, I want to take my 16 year old there. I want to go. And Nancy's okay. Like, what, you know, what if something happens? And I was like, mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, cause they know so much through memes and through social media mm-hmm. and through mm-hmm. this. And I'm like, and they think they know, just like we thought we knew. And I thought it was interesting on his, on his eye. I said, we're going to listen. I said, We've spoken too much. We just need to listen. Mm-hmm. And we sat there and we part. And I, I think I saw, like, I saw a light go on. And my son is pure in heart. But there's so many things that are ingrained in culture. What would you say? And this might be a loaded question, but we need to get better. I believe our church is called to change our city. Our city can change our country. And I honestly believe our country can change the world. That's why we say, and Dean, we've had conversations. You're like, hey, man, I'm, I won't be at church for a couple of weeks. I've got soccer. I've got hockey. I've got baseball. Mm. And I said, listen, you're committed. I'm not worried about it. But we need you out there. That's your mission field. We need you out there as a role model in community. We need That is church. But to the white family watching right now, 
behind the camera that is a part of our church. Because so much of racism, if it's not maliciously taught, it's caught. It's caught of just the system. It's just, this is, it's generational modeling. What can we do to the white family behind that sitting there going, okay, I'm hearing this. Some of them know our, your family's going, I love your families. We do life together. What can we do as a church, but as families to change this? I think we're doing part of it right now, just in engaging in those conversations. Um, taking the opportunity just to, you know, even to read materials outside of something that you're traditionally may read for your own selves. Um, you know, and when you, when you think about racism, it's something that is widespread. And, you know, I would encourage individuals just to continue having those conversations with their, with their children. But one thing that I'm also very mindful of is that when we're looking at, you know, racism in, in, in totality, it's a learned behavior. Mm. It is something that we learn as we generate and we go through life. And if that is true, it's something that we then, have a prayer for it. I know something I pray about every day, that it can be unlearned. And the way in which it's unlearned, there's a lady out there named Bell Hooks. And one of the things she's talked about, in order to unlearn racism, you have to change both your thoughts and your actions. Hmm. And so we use the analogy of like a, of like an iceberg and you see your, and you see the, you know, the tip of an iceberg and you see that obviously that there's much more below. Our thoughts are what's on the inside of us. No one can really see what we're thinking, hmm. but they can see how we're acting. Yeah. And when we look at that in a context in regards to things like racism or even discrimination, those are visual experiences that we see on the outside. But on the inside, it forms into our, our like things like prejudice or stereotypes. So I'd encourage any family to that as soon as you maybe hear something that maybe doesn't sit well, ask why. Mm. Why does it not sit well in that moment? Mm. And then that's the opportunity to then continue the conversation and to grow. But the one thing with all, all the conversations around race is they're courageous conversations. Mm. And it's just being willing to lean in um, as we're doing today. Yeah. I think I echo what Dean says. Um, another thing I could probably add to that is be intentional. Be intentional about everything you do. If you're, if you're talking about the whole racism thing with maybe a black family or a colored family or whatever it is, don't, don't be shy about it. Sometimes, you know, white families might approach the situation being shy and the black person might be shy too, let's mm -hmm. just say. Um, so, I mean, it's better to be bold and ask a question if you don't know and you get an answer rather than, you know, you hold it inside and maybe something comes out wrong one time and then they see you, well, this person just said this and suddenly a whole bunch of judgment is flying around. I would say be intentional about the conversation, be intentional about... Um, possibly, you know, going up to that family and speaking to them and making them feel welcome. Um, and then from there, everything might change. Mm. The way I see it is it has a deeper line thing underneath it all. And I think it's so weird, but I'm, I'm using the word love. Mm. Love mm. is honestly the word for it all because I don't have an explanation for yes. it. But if a family loves on someone or loves on a family, you feel it. Mm. And if it's through conversation, if it's through um, an act, an intentional act, just through those little things, families feel it. And I think if that happens, suddenly the barriers start to break down from both sides. Mm. And if that starts happening, then the way I see it is I want everyone to, to start being a, a, a generate a race, not, oh, I'm this race and I'm that race. We're all one people. 
and that's what I would love for for the world to be right now. But I understand that it's not. Um, and a gap, there needs to be a gap in between. And I, I, the only thing I could think of is just that that word love, not just by saying I love you, but being intentional about the mm. act of doing something mm. or, or having that conversation or making it painfully obvious, this is what I would like to do. Mm. Yeah. Like you said, oh, you gonna sit here. You got it. Uh, <laughs> like make the effort to educate your children about this. Talk to them about it. Uh, research has found that our children as young as six months already see race. They already know. Don't shy away from them because they already know. Use illustration. I always use the egg as an example. We have the white egg. We have the brown eggs. When you break it, you're going to see the same yolk, the same whites. Mm. Use illustrations and talk to them about it. And take the time to know us. Take the time to recognize that this is Alexia. This is how Alexia's eyeballs looks like. Don't call me by my, don't call my children or me by a different black name. I mean, I am Alexia. If you are not too sure, don't call. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so just educate, educate, educate. Take the time. If you are walking down the aisle and you see a black uh, family there, get to know them. When they say hi, you have, you know, an incident where a baby will see you and they get shocked. You try, to, like I said to you earlier, you try to warm up to them. Mm-hmm. Say, hi, Alexia wants to say, what's your name? Start the conversation so that they get to know. So that's all that I have. And love, love, love. Mm-hmm. Love oversees everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love my white allies. <laughs> and I am very thankful. I mean, I live with a strong woman who's already putting her voice out there. And I think the one thing I would just highlight is that we're here and right now, people representing different parts of the globe talking about the challenges of Halifax as Halifax is being almost the worst experiences they're having. Mm. That says a lot. It does. And I would just, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a very difficult thing. People are right now, it's almost shocking to me because for so many years, you would have never thought someone's listening to you and you almost didn't want to speak up because you thought someone would minimize it and say, well, that's not really happening or you must be over-exaggerating. So now you have people's ear it, and it's almost shocking to think, well, if there's anything, I guess, checking your own bias, mm-hmm. just, just reflecting um, why would Halifax carry that reputation? Yeah. And and what you're saying about Canada is nice. <laughs> I do really good with someone with a hood on or a neo-Nazi symbol. I get that. I know where you stand. I feel safe knowing that mm-hmm. the truth is out there. So because there's less of those visuals in Canada, makes it harder. You don't even know who you're combating with. You don't know what someone's heart is until, um, you know, you might be the, under the assumption that they are the most proactive person in the world and they love black people until you date their daughter. Yeah. And then you hear something different. Mm. And so that's the times that you think, okay, we got a ways to go. And so right now, if everyone's listening, just internalize, see where you be honest with yourself. This is a very difficult time and people are really feeling challenged that they might look inside themselves and see something dirty, but that's okay. I'm just shocked that people are willing to do that now. 
And I hold nothing against somebody who might stumble trying to get better at this. That's where I'm at. We've even had conversations. I'm like, I'll be honest. Like, I don't know. Is it, is it African-American? Is it black? Is it African-Nova Scotian? And we're getting to place. I need to have the conversation. Otherwise, it causes you paralysis of not saying anything. Mm -hmm. And here's how I knew I had a moment three weeks ago, two weeks ago. Where I thought, you know what? This is a bigger problem than I think I've even given it. I was leaving the office one night and um, a great friend of our church, Pastor Lennon from EBC, he just left here and um, they, they use our, our studio and we get a chance to help them and, and uh, they preach here. And I said to our production team, I said, if it was 11 o'clock at night and we were both leaving here, I'd be more nervous being him than me. And he drives a nicer car than I have because they pay him more at his church. But I was going, that's not right. That I would rather be me than him. That's how I know there's a problem. Mm. I yeah. know there's a problem. Yeah. There has to be a problem. And we say all the time from our social media as a church, I said, people are looking for themselves in a crowd. So mm. if we took a hundred people and took a group photo and you're in that picture and we show you that photo, the first thing everyone does is where am I in the picture? Are yeah. my eyes closed? Yeah. Is, is my hair good? I said, people walk into a church and they look for themselves. And I said, they're looking for their age. They're looking for the car they drive. They're looking for their race. And I said, do they see themselves in our church? Because we have to get this right as a church. We have to get this. And if you're part of our church, we're committed to getting this right. Yeah. And uh, we're committed to making sure that we, if we have to make radical changes. I'm coming in. You have to be. <laughs> she's in. And um, we have to get this right. I feel like there's a real turning point right now. There's like this momentum. And I don't know if we're going to get this time again. I feel like there's this momentum of change can happen. What would you say to us as pastors to help this move this along? That's a vulnerable question to ask. <laughs> I'd say first, I'd say I'm proud of you. Mm -hmm. um, because I remember the very first conversation that you had um, as you were getting ready to launch Nova. And one of the very first things you said is this is going to be a place for different faces from different places. And right away, I was thinking, that's where I want to be. That's where my family's going to be. But I'd also say to you and the church and even as a society, that change takes place outside of our comfort zone. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a, there's a lady I highly respect named Wendy Mackey. And she said that one day. She said, change takes place. All progress takes place with change outside of your comfort zone. So, so where is it that we're comfortable? And sometimes it's very easy to sit inside of that place of comfort. Sometimes we got to stick that neck out to engage in those conversations so we can make that forward progress. And I'd say to you, maybe continue having those conversations, mm -hmm. continue to move forward, push the bar so that we can move forward as a collective. Mm -hmm. I love that because the way we are has to change. It's not working. It's not working for the future, the next generation. We have to change. Yeah. It, we have to be willing to risk it. And we do operate at a privilege. Mm -hmm. We do. We need to see in a room where something's not leveling up. Mm -hmm. We need to change that. Yeah. We need to, as a church leadership, say, no, no. We want more color. We want more diversity. Yes. Our, Alexia and I were having a conversation with our boys in yeah. the same grade yeah. and in the same school. And Alexia had to parent and say, I need to make a change because I need more diversity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
we need to change. And we will change. We will change. That's good, Dean. I would just say as pastors, and, you know, pastors are the original disruptors. Yes. You know, like the original advocates. And I'll be honest, I mean, we're having table talk, but real talk is that some people have been really hurt by certain churches. And some churches, it's almost been, even present day, shocking with some of the positions when race and culture comes up that you will find um, some churches taking positions that you feel very alienated from. So I don't feel that at Nova. So good on Nova. And that's why I think it's so important that, you know, a lot of times when you really, when you're really in distress and I know at least, and in the black community, the church has always been the central place. Yeah. Yeah. We look to our pastors and having pastors that'll speak up and speak out. Yeah. Mm. Makes a big difference. A huge difference. Mm. And, and likewise, sometimes I get a little surprised when I see other times I don't see that in a church and um, uh, it, it's, it's heartbreaking. And so I think for Nova, um, if that catches through and as pastors and the influence you guys have on other pastors, um, as much as right now people are asking to listen and we have a voice, people are really looking to the church right now. And I'm so happy that our church has taken the time to do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. yeah. I mean, we, we love God. We, we want to be the model of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Is there nothing more important right now than people bleeding and dying? That is the heart of God. Mm-hmm. And it's so wrong. It's so wrong on every level. Um, and we can't be quiet about it. No. It is not okay. No. It is not okay that our kids are still in this. Yes. Not okay. No. Not okay. Um, I want to thank you guys for trusting us. Thank you. I know even tonight, you had more to lose than we did. Absolutely. Because I know, yeah. I know conversations going, if I, if I say if something I say, how's it that could be come? translated the yeah. wrong way. Because, again, we don't preach anymore to 200, 400, 500 people. It's now global. Mm-hmm. We're very aware that our podcast can be forward and manipulated. And, we're, and you guys have trust us. And also trusting us to, you know, to, to, to be a part of our spiritual community. We are better because of it. But I know it's trust. It's trust. Mm-hmm. And um, we're better for it. We're better. We have a long way to go. Yeah. I do not think we're the model. I do not think that we have this nailed down. Mm-hmm. We have so far to go. We have so, but as we build, I was saying earlier that we're every sermon, every service, every event is another brick that we're building. We want to build a church that reflects our city or the city that we know that God wants it to be. And that's why I believe we will have politicians in our church and people in medicine and academics and sports and business. And we will have stay-at-home dads and moms. And we will have every age, every demographic, every race. We are intentional about this. And um, thank you for trusting us yeah. with your kids. Mm. Thank, you know, you. Thank you. Thank you. It's really important and, uh, um, that in, we have their backs. I'm encouraging my kids because, um, you know, especially this end of the table, it's their best friends. It's their best friends. And I feel like, cause we almost moved away. We almost moved to Brooklyn, New York to work at a church. Yeah. And part of it was, I want my kids to see buildings more than seven stories tall. And I want my kids to you see. You love New York. I do. Yeah. I want my kids yeah. to be, I want my kids to be a minority. I want my kids to understand more. And 
I won't even say it was intentional because it wasn't like we got to befriend that black kid. <laughs> well, my son and my daughter, when I see when I see their heart and their relationships, it's a non-issue. I'm so thankful. I didn't think that was possible in Halifax. And um, but partly because you guys have entrusted us and welcomed us and 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 our kids, we're so thankful. And I believe the best days are ahead, but I do think it's going to be bumpy for a bit. Yes, I, I think it is. And uh, there's going to be tough conversations. And I think it has to swing so far one way that it feels like that it's overboard. I there has to be a breaking point. I think we're, I don't think we're going to go back to normal because normal wasn't working. I think for little Halifax. For it to be, I'm like, I think, I, I believe God is in it and can work through it. But I know that we have to make the most of this to bring change. So uh, I, I want to pray. I want to thank you guys for taking the time this yes, morning and uh, being so a part much. of our service. And thank you as a church for leaning in. You've been so faithful as a church. I think with the giving, when most people go, well, I'm only going to give to a church that, that you know, I, I, I get, I enjoy the music. I enjoy the kids program. I enjoy the missions. I enjoy the seats. I enjoy the coffee. We can't offer anything as a church right now. And you guys have been committed, committed to growing with us. You know, even a couple weeks ago, talking about the gifts of the Spirit and the person of the Holy Spirit, working through uh, our vision to help people far from God become close to God. We're not a church um, for Christians, if I can say that. We want to grow, but we want we want to be a place you bring people that need help. And you have embraced that. And I'm, we are committed as a church to being diverse, to reflect heaven, reflect the diversity of, uh, uh, of God's people in all areas Absolutely. and um we're committed to that in preaching and worship and kids and youth in in our focus in our finances in our in in our our talk in every, we are committed to it and uh, at every level and we're not there but we will get there mm-hmm. we're getting there so i want to thank you church and uh i just want to pray i want to pray actually lexi will you pray I feel like you're the most spiritual in the room. She's the mama. <laughs> the mama. You, this is what I love and honor oh, about no. this woman. Your, the mama's heart. Your spirit. Girl. Your spirit <laughs> is so, it, um, it's we contagious. It's contagious. Mm-hmm. But would you pray specifically? I want you to pray for our children. Mm-hmm. And I want you to pray for us as leaders. Leaders in every area of culture. Mm-hmm. Like the influence around this table is breathtaking. I think with the thousands of people represented around this table that we lead at some level, it's mm-hmm. breathtaking. Mm-hmm. Would you pray for our children? Would you pray for us as leaders mm-hmm. to get this right? Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Jesus. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your protection. We thank you for your love. Mm-hmm. We thank mm-hmm. you for being in the presence in everywhere that we go. We are so grateful to you. We give you all the glory. We give you all the yes, praise. Mm. We give you all the honor. We thank you for a time like this. We thank you for George Flood. We thank you. Yes. 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 Because Jesus. without him, this wouldn't have mm. happened. Father, you know why it happened. We thank you for that. We pray, almighty God, and we commit the church into your hands. Yes, Lord. Father, we pray for your grace, your wisdom. For the leaders, your wisdom, for your leaders, spirit of the living God, lead them into the right path. Give them the grace to be able to understand for this change. My God, help us. We pray, almighty God, for the strength in these times. I pray for all those who are hurting at this time, that Lord, 
you will give us the peace that we need. Mm. We need that. Spirit of the living God, give us the peace. Mm. Give us a sound mind. Mm. We come against any spirit of fear. Fear does not come from you, almighty mm. God. We pray that you give us the grace to mm. be able to be bold. Give the yeah. leaders the grace to be able to be bold. Yes, Lord. And courageous, just like Joshua. Mm. We pray, almighty God, for your presence in this situation that we find ourselves in for our children, oh God. Help us to be able to use the right words, mm. to be able to speak to them, to be able to understand. We pray, Almighty God, that everyone who is watching this will be able to understand yeah. your word, what we are saying, God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Bless you. your holy name. Thank, thank you. you, Father. Thank you, Son, and thank you, Spirit of the living God. Amen. 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 So many scenarios and pictures painted in this conversation. Um, and personal, not on the news, not from Atlanta, from Halifax, right here in our home. And babe, you gave that illustration about how everybody looks in a picture and thinks, where am I? I can't help but think about today, my connection to these personal stories and lives. And I listened and I lingered in this conversation since we've had it. And I, I ask that you do the same today, that you actually linger and put yourself in this picture and think about your connection in these stories. Yeah. Today, lean into this conversation. Just don't click stop. And that was a service. Lean in. Saw a guy, another preacher, a well-known preacher say at his church, they said, we try to have more thumbs than fingers. Instead of pointing out, we oh, look in, yeah. lean good. in today. Yeah. We as pastors, we as parents, we as people Every are saying, level. where do we need yeah. to change? So yeah. today, Jesus is our cornerstone, cornerstone yes. of hope and of joy and of love. And he always ran to hurting people. We have hurting people in our city. And as our cornerstone, we are all about his mission, yes. which is running to people. We yes. love you. Yeah, we Thank love you for you. leaning in on this conversation. We as a church are going to do better. We're going to grow yeah. and we're still listening. We're Amen. We're going to finish today singing about this cornerstone that ran towards injustice, that ran towards the hurting, the same cornerstone that lives in us and that we follow.